And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Financial Fitness Friday. I'm Rich Rosso, CFP. Without Danny Ratliff, CFP. He'll be back next week. You know, uh, Brent, Lance left his um, <coughs> Twitter feed up, so I'm thinking I'm going to have a party with it today. <laughs> I'm going to start posting stuff that's very un Roberts like. Un Lance like. And see what happens. <laughs> nah, I would never do that. He's <laughs> got a lot of followers. And somebody named Nice Guy likes his reply. Ah. But is he really a nice guy? If he's on Twitter, <laughs> eh, probably not. Hey, so um, as we had talked about last year and this year about the rocky road of investments and how the market is uh, going to go through this process of Fed detoxification, it feels bad. Um and if you look underneath the surface of the S&P 500, it looks bloody bad, depending upon the company you're looking at. So even though the S&P obviously is touching, if you look at it on, the weekly, uh, on a weekly basis, just about its 50-day moving average, there's a long way down to the 200. There's what I call an air pocket. <laughs> Don't know where it goes, from here or whether it hugs this moving average. The issue is many companies uh, in the S&P, especially the smaller ones, and of course, if you look at the Russell 2000, we are in bear market territory, which of course, in the face of rising rates, higher borrowing costs makes a lot of sense. So I always try to, you know, I'm doing this. Oh my God, how many years am I doing this? Long enough. Um, to understand animal spirits. And there's no formula to wrap around animal spirits. It's the emotions of confidence and fear, hope, pessimism. And those cycles, those feelings, whether it comes from higher inflation, we're going to talk about inflation in metro areas in a little bit, or um, whether it's just seeing where wages are going, if you're an employer paying them out or you're an employee receiving them and you're not meeting the rates of inflation. Then you have geopolitical risk. But most important is the risk in your household and how much you're paying for goods, right? So on average, you're paying, I think a family of four is 3,500 bucks a year. That's significant. We have 30-year mortgage rates, about 3.4, 3.45%, which it, relatively speaking, is low, right? You talk to all the old timers. Hey, I remember when my mortgage was 12%. That's my Joe Biden impression. Um, <clears throat> and um, hey, Sonny, Corn Pop had a mortgage for 16% interest. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. 
We are a world, not just the United States. We are a world built on low rates. So relatively speaking, you don't need rates to go up dramatically to cause a kibosh, not only in markets, which are addicted to them, but to general economy overall. If you want to see where GDP goes from here, you can go to the Atlanta Fed GDP now and see how they revise downward for this quarter. I think it's going to be a big, big surprise. So last night, you would have think there would have been a, I don't know, an inducement to the positive side of animal spirits when Apple reported. Because Apple comes out, and I was wondering what their quarterly results were going to be. And, you know, they sort of kicked butt because we were worried about supply chain constraints. And, and obviously, Tim Cook said that. Listen, we do have them. But their sales growth really was very good. Um, so they, again, they tend to guide more conservatively and then kick, you know, kick that around and beat it up and raise it. And, you know, they, they're really good at understanding the emotions of markets. So last night I went, okay, this is good. Because that ethereal, that animal spirit you can't measure in a mathematical formula would spill over to markets today. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> but that's the thing about markets. No matter how long you're doing this, no matter how much you study them, they will always have the upper hand. So if you don't go into investing, I don't care if it's based on momentum, now based on fundamentals, if you don't go in with a sense of humility, you're going to get hurt. Because the emotion of overconfidence is a drug. So if I go ahead and I pick a stock and I, you know, it's, it goes up X percent. Oh, well, look at me. I'm some sort of market maven. Or did I get lucky? Yeah, I did the homework. And I think this year homework's going to matter. I think this year financial advisors are going to have to up their game. They're going to have to understand balance sheets, income statements, sales. They're going to have to go through the basics because the Fed is not going to coddle them anymore. That is going to, that is going to take some so-called financial professionals out of the business working at CarMax. Not that there's anything wrong with CarMax. I think I'd be good at that too. But animal spirits help you face who you really are. Good times, bad times. It's just like when you watch a movie, right? And you watch the good guy. You watch the good guy get beat up so badly. Put up against the wall. And then you see who he really is. This year, investors are going to find out who they really are. We talk about it here. We talk about how challenging it's going to be. Lance talked about it, I think, yesterday or the day before. You're going to have to look for opportunities, trade them a little bit more, although we're not active traders. But we do work around the edges quite a bit. We're trying to understand the terrain that you're going to face this year, but animal spirits can be your greatest enemy when you invest. 
because now you're going, you know, I don't think you're going into um, pessimism and fear yet, although it, fear is picking up a little bit. I think there's probably still a little hope. You got to wring all that out. The problem is you can't get caught into that feeling. And then what you do is you take it out on your portfolio and destroy your returns. When we get back, we're going to continue this discussion about markets, animal spirits, what you can do to maybe tame them a bit, rein them in. And some other stuff about IRAs and qualified charitable distributions that'll maybe put Lance back to sleep. When we return here on Financial Fitness Friday, we'll be right back. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. What will the Fed's actions this week mean for your money next week? Join Lance Roberts with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special edition of Candid Coffee this Saturday, January 29th at 8 a.m. We'll address market conditions post Fed meeting. Will it be slow or go for Wall Street? And how will the Fed's stance affect your investments? Register now for our special edition post Fed Candid Coffee at Real Investment. InvestmentAdvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Real InvestmentAdvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Oh, Mr. Roberts, I'm not going to go into your Twitter feed, but I do want to let you know that Spicy Chicken retweeted your tweet. I'm waiting for home fries. See if maybe he does the same. I think if we shut down Twitter for about a year, mm -hmm. overall society would heal. Flowers would grow. You know, it's like the end of like uh, one of those great films where the, the whole disaster is over and everybody's trying to rebuild their lives. Right. Just cut it down. It is the sewer pipe of social media. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to have to use that because that is good. Now, <clears throat> speaking of sewer pipes, I don't know how I'm going to segue this. <laughs> your emotions can go through that real stinky. Um, when we look at possibly stocks poised for a fourth consecutive weekly loss, because as I was told last year from many Gen Z's, markets don't go down anymore. And I'm silly. Sometimes I can be silly. But market cycle. Most of us listening to this radio show understand that. The Fed has postponed the cycle for a long time. Now, as the Fed goes in and, frankly, I never thought I'd use the word hawkish. They're going to they're gonna have to be. Now, here's a question for you. If a central bank has to fight inflation, do you have a Fed with the backbone that's going to allow a recession to occur to fight it? 
I would not want to be Mr. Powell or anyone else at the Fed because I, I'm in a no-win situation. I'm in a no-win situation. If the CPI is rising 7% and um, employers, when you look at labor costs, the highest labor costs in 20 years, and we know wage inflation is sticky inflation. It sticks or it doesn't really drop off. And something we've been talking about since middle of last year, at the least, that part of this inflation is not transitory. How's the Fed going to deal with it? Are they behind the eight ball? Are they going to move too slow? Are they already too slow? Why are there emergency procedures? Why are they buying mortgage-backed bonds? Why are they still doing that? Makes absolutely no sense. So you got a Fed that possibly has to really slow down the economy. But here's the question. How slow is it already? Personal savings rates are down. Cash coffers are drained. Real wages are negative. People are using credit cards for day-to-day. So how far in advance does the Fed have to get at that? You know, Stephanie Pomboy, she's a great economist. I really like her. Um, I follow a lot of her work. Not on Twitter. Um, she's, she's come out and called the bluff of the Fed and said, you're not going to even get a chance to raise rates. You're not going to have an opportunity. Because all of this is going to slow down dramatically enough for you to postpone and postpone and postpone. I'm not so sure. I think she does good work. And that brings up something about animal spirits and contrarian views. If you want to fight the evil animal spirits inside you that you're going to take out on your portfolio without any rules, you've got to avoid confirmation bias. And that's the tendency to search for, to interpret, favor, and recall information in a way that confirms your views. If I want to go out there and I want to find a bearish article today, all I got to do is bring up the computer. And as Lance would say, that could be a really good contrarian indicator, at least in the short term, as markets are oversold. I think they are. Lance will tell you better or not. looks like to me they are. Um, so if I want to keep my emotions in check and do the right things... I try to find out, because if I am more bearish and concerned, I want to try to get an article that's going to, or examine at least, an article that conflicts with my view. Again, that doesn't mean I'm going to make changes. It's just that I'm mixing something else in the emotional animal spirit soup that's going to dilute what I'm feeling, whether it's good whether it's bad. Why am I doing that? Why am I drinking that Kool-Aid? To keep me level-headed. To keep me even-tempered. That's why I do it. So I will personally go out and try to find opinions that disagree with me. 
There are a lot of Wall Street pundits, and I do agree, that the Fed does not have the backbone to truly fight inflation and put the economy into a recession. So you have to make an assumption, this is from Richard Bernstein, that inflation will be 2 to 3% higher. And that's another thing we've done here at RIA. Within our planning software, we raised the overall level of inflation. In other words, the foundational level of inflation that hums through every goal. We raised it. Middle of last year. I was concerned that I was a little too early. And I would have to pull it back. But I had enough information from the Atlanta Fed and their sticky price index to take the leap of faith. And frankly, we can study all we want. We can study stocks. We can study income statements, cash flow, whatever you want to study. We could study the macro economy. Almost everything we do when we come to commit dollars is a leap of faith. I think Lance says it best, and I think it's a real humbling factor when he says it. Um, when he says we're all speculators, we're not really owners. Although that would have devastated me as a kid when I bought McDonald's stock and I thought I was an owner. So when I told my uncle, hey, can you buy me a few shares of McDonald's? Because I was reading about stocks when I was like 10 or 11 years old. And coming from a pretty modest background, to say the least, I was like, wow, how could I own part of a company? That's, that's crazy. You mean I could own part of McDonald's? So I went to the local McDonald's in Brooklyn and uh, I ordered about 200 bucks worth of food. And in those days, they would sort of cook it up even before you would um, pay for it. So they're getting the order ready and all that. And he goes, well, how are you going to pay? I said, uh, pay? I don't have to pay. What do I have to pay for? I'm an owner. Uh no, I wasn't really an owner. I was a speculator. Because I was addicted to quarter pounders and shamrock shakes. Still am. Even though I don't eat them anymore. So you want prices to go higher, but you can do all the research in the world. And the stock works against you. Then you've got rules. Not animal spirits. You've got rules. If this stock is heading lower, do I buy it? Because some people tell you, don't catch a falling knife. Is it a falling knife or is there something that the market's not seeing that I have the leap of faith to add more money? We've done that with positions here. Where something takes them down, but Lance runs the fundamentals with Michael and, and Nick and they go, you know what? This, this is noise. We're going to wait for this. So we pick the price, add money to the position. Then there are positions that the fundamentals turn against us. And we have a rule to get out. This year, if you're going to use emotions like you did maybe last year because everything you touched turned to gold, you're going to, whatever good returns you had last year, you're going to probably lose this year. And many people that I talk to, they're not used to this. Even people that have been in the market for years have seen cycles. Over the last 12 years, the Fed has cemented their emotions into the market always goes up camp. And I got to go in with a pile driver and crack all that.
and go back into it because what people are doing now is they're saying, I got to get all out. I got to get out. I got to get out. Well, your portfolio is down 3%. You have to get out? Why? Getting all out, getting all in does not work. Let us follow our rules because no matter what you tell anybody, the buy and hold mentality is so ingrained, ingrained in everybody's brain that they take the buy and hold and think that um, you have to hold everything or nothing. Like you don't understand that like a portfolio is a living, breathing entity. It, it ebbs, it flows, it, it does this movement. If your advisor is following risk management, not market timing, let us do our job. Listen to the information we provide. And speaking of that, we have a very special edition of Candid Coffee tomorrow. We got quite a crowd for tomorrow. Good thing this is Zoom because we couldn't get a room big enough. <laughs> Although we could rent out the Astrodome. Maybe Brent can uh, clean up some of the mold in there. Um, so this is going to be with Lance and Danny. Uh, I will be there. Um, we want to talk about the Fed's actions, how they affect your investments, how markets are going to respond, best practices and strategies for your portfolio tomorrow, January 29th, 8 to 9 a.m. Real investment advice. Sign up for this Zoom webinar. It's an hour. I promise you, you are going to get something from it that is going to tame those animal spirits. Hey, put that whip away, boy. We want to make sure you're making the right moves in your portfolio. We get back. We're going to talk about, a, we're going to deviate a little bit into retirement accounts, the qualified charitable distributions of what you need to know. We'll be right back. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. What will the Fed's actions this week mean for your money next week? Join Lance Roberts with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special edition of Candid Coffee this Saturday, January 29th at 8 a.m. We'll address market conditions post-Fed meeting. Will it be slow or go for Wall Street? And how will the Fed's stance affect your investments? Register now for our special edition post-Fed Candid Coffee at Real realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back. There are a lot of questions for this Candid Coffee tomorrow. We really need like three hours. We got one. Um, any questions we don't get to, we're going to share with you on the radio because there are some amazing questions that we've received. <clears throat> so before we get to the Qualified Charitable Distributions, the U.S. Employment Cost Index, that's the quarterly measure of wages and benefits paid by employers, it's expected to show that costs are going to go or rise to the highest level in 20 years. 
That comes out this morning from the Labor Department. That is going to be interesting to see. We also have PCE core deflator, uh, personal spending, personal income, but it's going to be really important. I think of obviously the Fed pays a lot of attention to the employment cost index and that sticky inflation. Although I don't know if we have to revise our definition of sticky because sticky prices are those like wages, things that when they go up in price, they don't really go back down. But I also think, and I wrote this in October for a blog post, that I think that energy prices have become sticky, less volatile. And the reason for that was because of the political climate and obviously the erratic weather. Those two combined lead to higher prices, sustained prices. So I'm throwing some, sticky, some stuff into the sticky camp that shouldn't be. So the worse these numbers are, the more the Fed's got to get off their you-know-what. And do they have the guts to possibly put the economy in recession? Or do we deal with, again, something in the same blog post I wrote in October, stagflation? Or what I call stagflation light. May not be as onerous as what we saw in the 70s, but it'll be an iteration of it. Either way, it doesn't feel good. Like August in Texas. Yeah, doesn't feel good. But we're going to have to work through it. Again, another thing to battle your animal spirits, the positive ones, that may have you take out something on your portfolio that you shouldn't. So S&P futures are down 32 points. Dow is down 302. NASDAQ is down 63. Not even Apple, which usually in the past, so goes Apple, so goes the NASDAQ, so, or the market. Um, that's not even working. So you're in the sour spirits. You're in the get off my lawn spirits. You know, when that, when that line came out in the movie, Gran Torino, who knew how popular that, was, that meme was going to be with Clint Eastwood? Or accurate. Brent. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I don't know what happens, but that get off of your lawn is like for everything in your life. Get out of my kitchen. Get off my, you know, get off my lawn is pretty much the mantra, isn't it? You know what I think it is? What? I think the older we get the less patient we are with things that waste our time and money. That's absolutely true, because we've been through it before. Yeah. You're and being really silly. You're sweating all this small stuff, and we don't have time for you. Mm -hmm. We just don't have any time for you. Hmm. Yeah, well, so <laughs> that is so true. Oh, my gosh, that's so true. Um, Qualified charitable distributions, these are very popular where you are taking direct transfers from your retirement accounts and you're moving the money directly to qualified charities. So they can only be done from IRAs, not your company plans, uh, not even if you're contributing to a SEP or a simple. Um, so this is a tax benefit where I have a highly appreciated asset, low basis, and I want to move my uh, from out of my IRA to charities. I got to be at least uh, 70 and a half to do this, right? So even though my required minimum distributions from IRAs is 72, 
I can still do a qualified charitable distribution at 70 and a half. So you think about IRAs are really the best assets to go ahead and give to charity from. Why? Because they're loaded with taxes, ordinary income. So if I can take out my, my IRA funds relatively or solely tax-free, and I have a charitable intent, most important, why wouldn't I do it? But a lot of people are stuck in their old ways. They're going to write a check. That's the worst way to give to a charity. If I've got mark, you know, I've got stocks that have gone up for 12 years, even in my brokerage account, and I have a charitable intent, let me move those highly appreciated assets out to a charity. So, again, it's, it's a good way to do it. Um, but there is a catch. Um, the problem is, okay, most people look at this stuff for qualified charitable distributions, although we have clients that do it throughout the year, which I think is smart. But a lot of people wait to November and December because we're like, in our minds, required minimum distributions have to come out in November and December and qualified charitable distributions have to come out. Everything has to do, happen in November, December. Why? Why? If the money's sitting in cash anyway and you need it or you need to take the required minimum, just do it, right? So you want to do your qualified charitable distributions. Here's the, here's the rub. Before any RMDs are taken. So this doesn't, this doesn't matter when you're 70 and a half. But if I'm 73 years old and I have to take a required minimum distribution and I want to do a qualified charitable distribution, if I take my RMD before the qualified charitable distribution, that income can't be offset by a qualified charitable distribution later. It's a quirky thing. It's called the first dollars out rule. So if I take out my RMD, say it's $5,000, and I want to make a charitable contribution of $5,000, um, I'm probably going to have my 2022 say I want to do this, my $5,000 donation eliminated because of the tax on the RMD. I'm not going to get the benefit because if my RMD came out first, that's taxable. So if you want to time it properly, and this is a little quirk that people don't realize, because of that first out rule, you want to do your qualified charitable distribution first before your required minimum distribution. And that's an important point that you have to keep in mind um, overall. So um, Ed Slot, who's a great tax guy, he's got an example here. So Jane wants to do $5,000 contribu you know, charitable distribution, and she's got an RMD. If she does her $5,000 qualified charitable distribution in January, or at any time before taking the RMD, then the qualified charitable distribution would satisfy her RMD, and she would not have to take it. She would only have withdrawn 5000 and it would have been excluded from income. 
And that's the way you do your qualified charitable distributions. You know, all these ages of when to take money out of your IRAs, I will tell you, they're confusing. There's legislation out there to say, yeah, you can, maybe you can wait till age 75 to do it. But here's the thing we teach at RIA. Don't let at all age prevent you from pulling from your IRA. Say you're, you're a young retiree. You're 62 years old. I think that's a young retiree today. And um, I'm going to say, listen, I, I'm going to wait to 72. I'm going to wait a decade and let this money grow over time. Well, if we're correct about over the next 10 to 15 years of equity returns being poor, anemic, disappointing because of valuations, and eventually math and valuations matter, why wouldn't I start drawing from my IRA at 62, at least drawing it down so I am in control as opposed to the government being in control when they figure out what I need to take. Even if I want to take some of that money out and move it to a Roth conversion account, we call a surgical Roth conversion, moving it into a regular brokerage account. In other words, I want to prick that bubble of tax-deferred accounts unless I think taxes are going lower. All right, if taxes are going up and am I going to have a higher tax rate in retirement, and I don't want the government telling me what to do. I'm going to start drawing earlier from my IRA. I met with a wonderful gentleman. He's a great client. And he sat with me. And he looked at me. He goes, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? When I take my required minimum, why wouldn't I take more out of my account? Up to the top of the tax bracket because we never let a tax bracket go to waste. Why wouldn't I take that, whatever it is, 10000 50000 whatever it is and slowly move and just put that into a Roth account. Because you know what he's worried about? His children are high wage earners. And he knows if they inherit his IRA, they have to take it out over 10 years, not their life expectancy anymore. So if I want a legacy asset done in a very cheap manner and yet probably in the long term save me taxes on Social Security and possibly not trigger IRMA charges on Medicare. Even if I'm taking a quiet minimum distribution, why wouldn't I take more out of my IRA? And if I'm 60 or so, why wouldn't I? When we get back, we're going to talk about, well, all kinds of stuff. We'll wrap it up here on Financial Fitness Friday. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. What will the Fed's actions this week mean for your money next week? Join Lance Roberts with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special edition of Candid Coffee this Saturday, January 29th at 8 a.m. We'll address market conditions post-Fed meeting. Will it be slow or go for Wall Street? And how will the Fed's stance affect your investments? Register now for our special edition post-Fed Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
The last time I was on Twitter, I was going back and forth with Jim Cramer about something. And um, I said, I grew up on Bumblebee Tuna. Like, the whole world was, I don't know, that was seemed to be a staple in our house. You know, you open the can. So I tagged Bumblebee Tuna, and they, and they responded. Cans, pouches, snake, snack kits, we've got it all in the best ways to get it. I'm like, listen, I'm not, I said, no offense to you, Bumblebee, but I'm trying not to eat your tuna anymore. I'm, I'm mostly Bumblebee tuna. I get the best responses from corporations. I said, today, half price sale on Valentine's Day candy on the 15th. I put that on Twitter and Walgreens, Walgreens and Walgreens comes back and goes, we're expecting to see you, Richard. Oh, man. Other than that, mm, not a fan. I want to see who's retweeting Lance today. Captain Bald. Okay. Hmm, that's interesting. Captain Bald. Rainmaker. Why can't people just use their names? Sponge Cake. Sponge Cake is... Mm, now I want Sponge Cake. Gold is money. Mm-hmm. Caveman. Crate... <laughs> Caveman's retweeting your stuff, Lance. That's great. Who else? <laughs> oh, my God. It's a cesspool. Um, <clears throat> really. And Lance, you know, Lance is just out there doing his, like, here is the real info, right? It's good stuff. Like, Lance, you should put a book together of all your tweets because they're very informed. They are. They're little pockets of information. I think you could turn them into flashcards. Lance cards, right? Because he, he goes, here's the chart. Here's what it means. Good stuff, right? I don't know. I know Lance has been write, looking to write a book. Okay. The Twitter guide to uh, good sense. You can put a whole stuff, you know, whole paragraph, uh, I mean, a chapter on who to avoid on Twitter, which is most people. Uh, who are your, in your Twitter Hall of Fame, Lance, your Twitter Hall of Fame, who you really like that people should follow? If I want to channel Twitter and take it out of the sewer and put it, you know, clean it up and then post your best tweets because they're all really good. Lance says, hey, don't call my followers a cesspool. <laughs> I won't call caveman a cesspool. I'm sorry. <laughs> Does he remind you of like CB handles? Yes. Yes, they are. They're CB handles, right? Mm -hmm. Did you have a CB handle? Ten four, good buddy. What was yours? Radio I, man. I Radio. was the little brown jug. <laughs> okay, little brown jug just mm. retweeted Lance's tweet. There you go. <laughs> uh, but CB was fun. Twitter isn't. Um, <laughs> so, top three states to retire in twenty twenty two. Do you want to take a stab at this, Brian? Do you want to take a guess? Top three states. Top three. To which to you, you probably get one out of the three. I, Florida. You got one. There you go. Um, You're never gonna get the other two, but I'm gonna Montana. <laughs> no, but that would be a nice state to retire in. Yeah. No. Great one more. Great population density up there. Uh -huh. Wyoming would be one of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, this is gonna surprise you. Alabama, Mississippi, somewhere mm. along in there. Oh, no. Where there's low cost of living. Virginia and Colorado. Virginia. <laughs> so, Wallet Hub, 
compares yeah. these 50 states across three key criteria. They're looking at affordability, quality of life, and healthcare, which, I mean, you would think Texas, right? Affordability. It's got affordability. No, I would not, I would not consider Texas because our, our, Compared to Colorado? our tax rates really? are, are too okay. high. I mean, they, they screw us over with the property tax. Oh, okay. Well, they do. But I still think in relative to, like, Virginia... You, well, yeah. You know, that's what I mean. Like, right. So they got to look at these. They looked at 47 relevant metrics, cost of living, tax friendliness, cost of in-home services for affordability. Uh, also very important, risk of social isolation. I want to be f- farther away from people when I retire, but it seems like you shouldn't be doing that because you have to remain social. Something we talk about at the retirement right lane. Elderly friendly labor market. Like the dude at my Dunkin' Donuts in the drive-thru who sells me coffee. Very good. Uh, access to public transportation. Very important. Well, that may be what, what uh, for quality of life, we don't have a lot of public transportation. Family medicine, physicians, dentists, nurses per capita. Boy, getting old is fun. <laughs> uh, Alabama, Tennessee, and South Carolina are the top three retirement states in terms of affordability. You know what? You can go like like where your daughter lives, like around that vicinity. Not in Nashville proper. It's very, it's still like if you yeah. look at Hendersonville, the Gallatin, birds. you you can yeah. still get a good, good deal. And Gallatin's gorgeous. It is. It really is. It nice. is. It is beautiful. I love Gallatin and I love Gatlinburg. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like Pigeon Forge. Um, so, in terms of affordability, you said one. So I'm going to give you credit for this, Brent. Alabama, Tennessee, and South Carolina for affordability. Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Minnesota, quality of life. Minnesota, Vermont, and Massachusetts in terms of health care. So let's see where we show up. Idaho is 11. California is on that list at all. Um Gosh darn, Texas is 34, and Georgia is 35. I will tell you, I love Georgia. I think that's a beautiful state. Um, but again, it's not, it's, it's again, it's based on these 47, uh, you know, these metrics that you want to look at. So I think the lesson from this is most people, wherever they live, as they get older, they tend to age in place. get off my lawn. I don't go on my lawn, but I don't leave the house. (laughs) Right? Where some younger retirees decide, I want to move. I want to be in a place where quality of life is better. And Wallet Hub actually does a good job on these metrics. They do it every year. But the risk of social isolation is important. Obviously, the access to healthcare is important. Um, how active you are or want to be. Like where we are in Texas, it's very tough to be active, right? Because you have a lot of months where it's just not worth it to walk or or do hiking or whatever it might be. Um, And other states are. But when people want to move, and a lot of people want to move because they get emotional about, they want to get out of the city, they want to do this, they want to do, they want to move to a rural area. And I... Well, we have to have this discussion. 
What are you going to do for healthcare? What kind of hobbies are you looking at? Because the social isolation in retirement to me is most detrimental. The lack of stimulation in, in the brain, whether you're talking to people every day, writing, but mostly getting active, doing something, or someone to push you, someone to do something with, especially physical activity. I mean, I think it could take years off your life. There are studies that show when men retire early and they don't have hobbies or they're not going to go work part-time or they don't have a mission or a purpose, they die sooner. Hey, it happened with my grandpa. It happened with a lot of grandparents, right? Once your grandfather retired, generally speaking, in the 70s, I mean, almost every funeral I ever went to was grandpa retired, you know, 65, 67, he's out. Because they work is everything to them. Well, back then, 65 was old. It was. No, I agree with you. you. Know, I mean, my, 65 to the... Yeah. My grandfather retired yeah. at 65, and he was ancient. I mean, because you, of the, 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 the environment in which he had worked, going through the Depression, all, all that, the things all that, that everybody that went through. Like, my grandmother went through the Depression, and I found the picture of her when she was 40. Like, I looked at the picture, and I'm yeah. like, oh, she's got to be 65. Here, right, please. right. She was like... 39 years old, mm. just turned out to turn 40. And yeah. I'm like, Grandma, <laughs> I feel, what'd you go through, right? right? She wasn't a smoker, wasn't a drinker. Mm -hmm. It was that growing up through the Depression, right? She had to go out. I mean, people just aged. Yeah, quicker. by and large, the boomer generation has aged very well. Mm-hmm. Despite all the despite things the that fact we did that to ourselves Gen Z, Gen back Z in wants, the 60s and 70s. Right. <laughs> And the fact that Gen Z wants an office. Yeah. Never turn your back on a Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to you. You're the reason for all our troubles, you boomers. See, even Gen Z is saying get off our lawns to the baby boomers anyway. <laughs> so inflation in metro areas, this is not one of WalletHub's metrics, but obviously cost of living. Well, affordability. Um... We know the CPI rose 7% in the average U.S. city, but we know that's merely an average. But some metros saw starker increases in cost of living. So here's uh, interesting. San Francisco, only 4.2%, but they were coming from gosh knows where. This is the cost of living rise least in 2021. <laughs> FYI, Houston, Texas... Smaller uptick, upticks than the average. Hmm. Inflation can absolutely dampen your animal spirits. And lifestyles are going to change because of it. Hey, uh, tomorrow, Candid Coffee, please sit in with us. You know, get your coffee, walk into the kitchen, turn on the computer. Lance will have all kinds of charts to wake you up. And then we're back next week. Hope you have a great weekend, everybody. We'll hopefully see you tomorrow. Realinvestmentadvice.com to sign up for the Zoom webinar. And Lance's daily market commentary. New articles are up because we're constantly writing just for you. Have a good weekend. Thanks for being with us. See ya. Well, the things I can tell.